What's up, everybody? Welcome to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today, I can't believe we are here. I have anticipated this moment for years, quite literally. Today, we are talking about Season 4, Episode 2, The Visitor. Uh, wow. Mike just said to me he's glad. He, he watched it uh, two days ago, or yesterday, and he was glad he got another day, 24 hours, to process. And I understand completely, because I'm still processing this episode 30 years after I first saw it. How's it going, Mike? It's going well. A couple of things. One, yes, my headphones are this big. And yes, I am happy to see you. Two, uh... <laughs> If you smell burning, that is the spaceship we are running today because we I, I realized as I was going through it this morning, I was like, there's a lot happening for it for no reason. It's just no, none whatsoever. It. Yeah. Uh, and yes, this I knew going in that Keith, you said this was one of, if not your favorite episodes of Deep Space Nine. A cursory Google will tell you that it is ranked in the top pantheon of all Trek all episodes. All Trek, yeah. And I found myself after um, Jen and I watched this one together. You can check that out on patreon.com slash KNM. And, you know, in talking about it, I found myself putting it under a much starker magnifying glass because of the context of how good we put, it is, right? Put so, too much pressure on it. Yep. I, and I, I, re I realized that was the danger. Yeah. So whereas Jen loves to hand out hundreds plus. I've yet to do that, and before I give anything a perfect anything, I'm going to try to find, just like Subspace Rhapsody, we loved it, but we had to throw those nits. So I've got some things I, I'm, I'm willing to discuss, because I'm, I'm finding that even in my harshest, with my harshest critic hat on, the, the, what makes an episode great is that I think it's about the sum of its parts, and I think that you have to allow it to also be what it is, right? It has. It is also a 47-minute television show that has to operate within the constraints of that time frame, within the network structure, within all the stuff, right? So, so that's the lens with which we'll talk about it today. I'm excited to do it, and I can't wait to get started. Yeah, well, I think this is going to be an interesting conversation because, because uh, you know, I and I, I understand that like. Yes, you put a lot of pre you put a lot of weight on an episode when people talk about it the way they talk about the visitor, mm -hmm. and um, I could understand why like you come in with a, with a different lens. That said, I I'm going to be defending it to the hilt as we go through. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I we want to share something special and fun that got sent to us this week from our good friend Sans Deity, uh, who spent. I don't even, I can't even imagine how many hours creating uh, a fantastic video of our nonsense, uh, mm -hmm. which I am excited to share with you. We posted it online, so a lot of you may have already seen it. Uh, but I think with all of, with, with all the put effort put into uh, not making us look like jackasses, but allowing us to look like jackasses mm -hmm. here on the internet. Uh, let's hop into our screening room and watch uh, a little video called Keith and Mike Deep Space Nine Out of Context. Season one. Season one. Season one. There is more coming. So this, uh, is, this is a six-minute compilation pulled together of just our first season of this show, mm -hmm. of which there have been three subsequent seasons. Uh-huh. Here, here we go. Let's... Uh, be embarrassed. 
five. There's a there's a lot of controversy about the size. Oh yeah, I don't think we get. I didn't show the dicks. <laughs> no, well, well, that's all right. We don't need to show the dicks on the internet. I'm huge. Huge, <laughs> dense. Where does the poop go? Poop, you stick up your butt that sucks out the waste. He's still oh, pissed God. that they blew up his girl. The uh, Ferengis are pissed. Odo's pissed. Oh my God. Yeah. Odo's pissed. There it is. We said as much as pissed. I Cisco is pissed. And Cisco's pissed. He's pissed. And Galdinar, the Cardassian, is Gonna pissed. One in and this week. Lakai is pumped. Power dynamic. Dynamic. I don't know if you know. It's very far away. It's, you know, like it's very far. It's very far. So, uh, it's a hoax. Tell me about it, turtleneck. For. Oh, oh, uh, uh, if there's oh, ever no. underboob, that all that automatically wins. Yeah, that's true. right, Dukat. What are you gonna do? What? Okay, let me just tune that in for a second. Bittersweet memo. Don't, don't ever let me get close. Oh, I'm got the... taking you with me. Got the verse. So, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Mike says he's a horny little dude. I call him an arrogant twit. Rene and I'm loving Rene I'm Bergeonois. Rene. I'm Bergeonois. And I believe I used the term balls last week. Did you know? Did you know that you are 44.1% banana? Boom window! But I like your boom boom geese. But I, I I could I could breed myself for a very long time. The episode runs long. I could use a special bucket below the, my desk here. But Bernie Wormhole, yikes! Because <laughs> Cardassians like it hot. And Charlie is now coming across my desk. You're probably going to mm -hmm. see him leap whoa, past the camera. Whoa. There he goes. The and timing Dax. is amazing. Dax. Oh my God. Diaper pants, and Keith hates them because they would make him look chubby. <laughs> Dickhead aliens. Are you disgusted by our faces? No. <laughs> I, I can stand to chase St Sharon Stone around a little bit, try to uh, work it off. Exits into me. Mm -hmm. Although to extra be fair, webbed fingers, please, for my pleasure. Who is the guy we saw <laughs> finger Dax earlier from the Perv Cove? <laughs> the, uh, the follow the fart. I would like to formally apologize to everyone watching oh and or God. listening to this. Look how Steve, young I'm... we look. Okay. I want well, to frame sort of. <laughs> it's like I'm going to touch stuff. We see the goo getting bigger. I like the gusto, maybe. You got to keep those hands warm. Oh, we're oh, bad people. Oh god, I love it. <laughs> Haven't grown up, never will grow up. He always be horny. <laughs> that fucking yes. mannequin. Horny Dax is not helping things. And Hashtag uh, horny episode. I'm gonna hold your nephew hostage. You know, holding a child hostage is probably not the coolest way to do that. I'd be pissed. Nice words. Yeah, like I'm a flower. And I will always love. We didn't pay for those rights, Keith. I will lick you with my COVID. The lips had to match. We gave them a little bit of rope to play with. And then, of course, Odo's like, oh, do you have a loner boner? And Odo just looks silently. But in that silence, we know. Make me live. <laughs> what are we doing? Uh -huh. and 
that he has. I'm sorry. Uh, the quote was, "He has a loner boner." <laughs> now, Keith, waste your time. Oh shit! He can turn to goo. Uh, it, I got all of the Dateline NBC uh, to catch a predator vibes. Thank you very much. <laughs> Let me get some some pillars. Just choke me out and rub my ears. Yeah. Almost entirely sad <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Shots fired. Whoo, come at us. All right, we're dead. He's merely uh, most sincerely dead. <laughs> beep a car? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like when you beam yourself out. We love you. It gets higher every time. <laughs> we always no, love you. No one went lower. Cisco is 100% on board, uh, but also dark, super racist, smooth, pliant flesh. Because he's got that sweet, <laughs> sweet ear. Techno babble, techno babble, techno babble, wormhole. Like, terrorism does not have to be uncomfortable. Burn it so, all down, baby. You know what? At the end of the day, if you're down. at the end of your terrorist rope, burn it all down. The passenger. He's got a, he's got a lot of really tight bathing suits. <laughs> Is this the kind of dirty humor you're interested in? Help us yeah. out. K-A-N-M. That's after patreon.com slash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, uh, so Odo heads off to be private Could detective. Could you say Odo. he was set off to be Columbodo? Thank you for watching. <laughs> Keep in mind, watch Deep Space Nine. And my last piece of trivia for we this kept episode, going, folks. this, uh, my mm -hmm. uncle was emanated. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great close. <laughs> what a great close. Oh my god, that was oh, fantastic. Oh, it was great the 12th time. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that with us. We will link to the full video down below in the YouTube comments, uh, where you can leave your comments and your rating for the visitor oh, in one done. to a hundred self-sealing stem bolts. But before we talk about that, we have to talk about the way of the warrior. Oh my God, what a back-to-back. -back. And here are your viewer ratings for the way of the warrior. Joshua Cronin gives it an 83, lowest one out there. Delusions at noon, 96, JD, 98. Harry Pothead, 100. Warps Bootshivs, 97. Bryant Kimball Beersock, 96. Kevin Miles, 95. Mysterious Anne, 99. And we have two. We have two super thanks here on the YouTube, which means we read your comment. You mm. don't want to miss out. <clears throat> Can't know. So YouTube viewer says, you said Ferengi and by extension Quark evolved to smell trouble. But remember, Quark said that they were too quiet. I really like how they keep running with Ferengi, having an auditory-based culture rather than a visual-based culture. Very good point. I also do not think the holodeck scene was as sexual as you two read it. I'm not saying that these two characters never bang holograms, uh, but if I personally was planning to bang a hologram, I'm not inviting my best friend to be in the same room. The holodecks are small. They cannot be more than 10 feet from each other. But then again, you two over-sexualize everything. I mean, yes, yeah, it's a very good point. I don't think I would want to share a holodeck with Mike ever. Uh, however, I don't know. I think that was very much the context we were told there. 
Anyway. I ain't telling anybody who they can holodeck with. No, for certainly not. Uh, they continue. An interesting aspect of Odo faking drinking coffee for the sake of politeness. Remember that he is dealing with Garrick, mm -hmm. who is most likely able to appreciate a well-constructed falsehood to put others at ease. Good point. In my opinion, all the seasons have a very great season premiere, except maybe season seven, which we can discuss then. But this is the best season premiere of Deep Space Nine. 97 self-sealing stem bolts plus a 12-pack of root beer. Mmm. When doing a Gowron impression, the crazy bulging eyes are way more important than the angry raspy voice. You actually like the visitor? Prepare yourself to face the wrath of my disagreement. Oh my goodness. Uh, boy, shots fired. We're gonna, you know, I, I might argue with Mike, but YouTube viewer, I'm coming for you this week. But but we YouTube will welcome viewer, your dissent. That's right. Enter right. into the record. There, there's we 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 leave space for people to be wrong. <laughs> it is a good. It's a really good episode. So I'm interested to hear the dissent, which I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm actually fascinated. Like yeah. what what is there not to like about this? Anyway, um, Sans Deity says, "Hey guys, thank you so much for your kind words about the little fan video I made, and we just sh sh we just that we just you just made season show. four, Keith." Oh my god, I'm, oh, I'm in a video talking about a video that I'm in and that's going to be in a video later? Open to Vortex. I spent weeks on it, if you include the time it took to watch every minute of every episode for any raunchy bits. God bless And you. I thank you both for promoting it, appreciating it, uh, since uh, that's all I needed out of it. Well, that's... I think that's all there's, you can get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> if you're looking for views or interest, we're not going to provide that for you. We, we haven't found that ourselves. Yeah. So. <laughs> so. I figured I'd cut Mike a little bit of a break and only include one rendition of Informer. I think one lick your boom boom now is enough for one video. <laughs> I think that's plenty for life. Is it I like your boom boom now? Is that the lyric? I have to look it up. We never... I, I mean, apparently you've been saying lick your boom boom now. I lick your boom <laughs> Hey, better now than never. You know, I mean, if you're gonna lick a boom boom, you that's better true. get if you're to it. Lick a boom boom. Now is the time. I mean, did we learn nothing from the visitor? You have to lick your boom booms when you can. You yeah. can't wait. You never know when the last chance to lick the boom boom is. You never know. You, you can't lick know. a boom boom then. No, you only get one first. And you only get one last. All right. So. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Sons. I'd continued. Uh, I had written three paragraphs about the visitor until I realized that we were talking about the way of the warrior this week. Hold I'm on. certainly Keith. Mm-hmm. Lyrics.com. The mm -hmm. trusted authority in lyrics. Uh-huh. Uh I'm now gonna give you a dramatic rendition. <clears throat> okay. What's up, man? Hey mm, yo. What what's up? Mm. Yeah, what's going on here? Sick and tired of 5-0 running up the block here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Yo, Snow, they came around here looking for you the other day. Word, word, bust it. Oh, Informer, no. I get away. you say, Daddy, me, Snow, me, I'll go mm -hmm. blame. A licky yeah. boom boom down. Detective Mon said, wait, Daddy. Wait, I'm sorry, you need to go back. A licky boom boom now is what you said? Can we just get that phrase again? <laughs> Looking at the lyrics is 
need to we need to do it all. Let's alternate. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Absolute nonsense. Oh my god! Hold on. I gotta, I gotta turn the ad blocker off. Oh god. All right. All right. So once uh, again, uh, you give me the chorus. I mean, what do you see? Yes. Uh, informer. <laughs> you know, say, Daddy, me. Snow me. I'll go blame. A licky boom boom down. Detective Mon said, Daddy, me. Snow me. Stab someone down the lane. A licky boom boom down. Informer. You know, say, Daddy, me. Snow me. I'll go blame. A licky boom boom down. Detective Mon said, Daddy, me. Snow okay. me, stab someone down the lane. A licky, a licky boom, boom, boom down. down. Oh, good God. <laughs> uh, I think my lyrics made more sense. I I mean, that, there's so much more of that, which we will spare you. It's going to be a long uh, episode. Yeah, but, okay. Uh, yeah, a licky boom, boom down, folks. Oh, right. uh, okay. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Uh, where were we? Oh. All right, so, so <laughs> I was saying uh, about... Deep Space Nine. Remember, remember, we we're talking about that. Uh-huh. The Way of the Warrior. Uh, I'm not certainly not the first or 69th person. That's what she said to say this. But season four is when Deep Space Nine really starts. I'd say 75% of the time when I do a rewatch, I'll just start with this episode. So it's probably the one I've watched the most after next week's episode. Anyway, I love how it begins in media res, so to speak, and so much is shown and not said. The addition of Worf was masterful, and he adds so much to the show that I can't believe we made it three seasons without him. He will certainly bring death to the opposition. We also get Martok, who may be my favorite Klingon in Star Trek after Worf, and how do you have a bad episode with Garrick? And normally, I'm not a huge fan of action-heavy Star Trek episodes, but this one is masterful. It blends emotion, character development, series and badassery into these into one delicious menagerie and this is just top notch deep space nine something i really liked about this episode was how the conversation between Worf and cisco somewhat mirror the conversations between cisco and picard in the pilot episode yes Worf initially says he is becoming disillusioned with his starfleet career only to have something happen in the episode that causes him to reverse course and realize where his heart truly lies this honestly might be the best episode of the show I don't know. I'd really have to sit down and think about it. But to that end, 99 self-sealing stem bolts and hell yeah, they're self-sealing. Keith, I will add $5 to my next tiff if you re-reenact with proper eye expression as well. Galron's line about. Okay, let me see if I can do this. I forgot. Multiple people talked about the eye bulging that I didn't do. Nope, can't do that without my glasses because I can't read the line. You have sided us against us in battle, and we do not forgive or forget. How's that? Ooh, ow. That wasn't bad. That scared yeah. me. Well, good, good. I do try to be scary in all of that my performances. That was good, man. I'd lick your boom boom down. The licky boom boom <laughs> down. Wow. Okay. Uh, d- Chancellor Jen, I'm guessing, oh, we, she already said, did she say what she gave for this episode? It was. She loved it. She loves. Yeah, she Worf. loved it. She's. She wanted to. Do, she wants. She's now. She wanted me to say. And then I said I won't mm-hmm. say that. But then I'll say it now. If she wants she to wants add. She wants to licky she, boom boom wharf. Uh, um, what was that noise you just made? 
I'm trying not to like ugly laugh again, which I guess is a waste. You just, just made this noise. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to add. She's the president of the Wharf and Moogie. She wants and to Moogie see family. Wharf and Moogie. Boom, boom, down. Oh, well, you never know. There's, there's four more seasons. A lot can happen. Anything can happen on the holiday. Anything. Yeah, that's true. That is true. All right. Uh, shall we talk about the visitor? All right. So this The Visitor aired on October 9th, 1995, coming up on spooky season. The top song continued to be Mariah Carey's Fantasy. Can't wait to hear it. Ooh, in... fantasy baby with a licky the boom boom holodeck isn't sexy because Keith and Mike just over-sexualized because the nine-year-olds who never exited that phase of life. Yes, well, I look forward to that being on uh, the season four <laughs> out of context clip. Uh, hi, hi, myself. Hey, well, do we look as weird in the future as we think we do in the past? Are you even grayer, fatter, and balder? Ha <laughs> <laughs> Jokes on me. I'm more attractive than you are, and that's saying something. <laughs> all right. Oh crap! Whew, all right, the top <clears throat> movie was seven once again oh, in its third week of domination with 10 million dollars mike what was on tv keith you know it was monday night football kansas city chiefs in an overtime thriller defeat the san diego chargers 29 to 23 murphy brown the nanny can't hurry love which is but joe montana still uh chiefing at that point or was that or was this elvis yeah. gerback in 1995 i think it was montana was until 97 i believe no, because he, he his first season with the with the Chiefs was ninety three. I think he did one more season after that. Oh, no, a super high rated episode of Chicago Hope aired Keith every day. A little death, one it's for the road reference. was on Chapter Four. Melrose Place partners Ned and Stacy. Oh, I forgot about that. Fresh Prince yes, was all he, new. He, his last season was nineteen ninety four. Well done. That's my brother graduated high school. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, and of course we had Star Trek Voyager with a new episode and Nowhere Man on UPN. All right. Well, there you go. It was, oh, it was Rich Gannon. Mm. The 1995 season, it was Steve Bono and Rich Gannon. Steve Bono. Marcus Allen was still on the team. All Steve right. Bono was the backup to to, to uh, Joe Montana. He was like the- He was the, third the, string behind ready Steve Young and Joe Montana mm -hmm. back in the day. Boy, that's a pretty good quarterback room. All right. Anyway, so- uh, what was Voyager doing? Well, Voyager was taking a week off. They were tired from having started all the way in August. And just because this episode needs more nonsense, what was the uh, happening in the weekly world news? Well, there was, once again, more prophecy. Very big on prophecy. But this one was never before published. The third prophecy of Fatima revealed for the first time. It's uh, Satan is going to rule the world by the year 2000. I mean, the you were year 2000. You're off by about 15 years, but you know, we certainly flirted with it. Yeah. All right. So the visitor. It's good we got all our laughs in because I'm going to be sobbing for the next hour and a half. Yeah, I already started crying. So, we're good. So <clears throat> The Visitor was directed by David Livingston, who last directed The Die is Cast, another phenomenal episode, and written by first-time Deep Space Nine writer Michael Taylor, the first of four, but uh, those four are pretty consequential. Which means it is time 
to hop into our trivial trivia room because I now set it up wrong. Waste your time with trivial trivia. Ba, 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 ba. All right, buckle up. This is fun. I don't know if Mike clocked this, but Melanie, the uh, the the young <clears throat> writer, is portrayed by Rachel Robinson. Do you know her connection to Star Trek? That's Garrick's daughter, Keith. It is indeed. You have been reading things you shouldn't have been reading. Well, no, actually, I haven't because it's kind of the best of both worlds because Jen, <clears throat> my wife, was really into this episode. She loved it. And so we went to watch my niece play soccer last night, and it's, spoiler alert, uh, soccer in general isn't really my jam, but like little kids playing soccer in a co-ed Catholic league where they don't even pass to the girls is real boring. So we just sat there and I was like looking at social media and Jen was looking up factoids about the visitor and telling me things that she thought would be okay for me to know. And one of them being oh. <laughs> that, uh, Andrew Robertson's daughter was Melanie. That's really cool. All right, there it is. Writer Michael Taylor based the concept of a fan visiting a reclusive writer who hasn't published in years on the famous 1980 interview given by J.D. Salinger to hmm. a high school student who simply turned up at his door in Vermont, I believe. I've heard that story. I have heard that story. Yeah. Tony Todd who portrayed Worf's brother, Kern, was cast as the older Jake after it seems too difficult to make Sarek Lofton appear to be in his 70s. He revealed that when filming the episode, he was mourning his aunt, who raised him as a child and had died only three months before. Oh. The script got me out of my shell. It was like she was whispering to me, go back to work. Doing this is as close to heaven as I can imagine. There um... <clears throat> we'll talk about his performance, but I will oh say that God. there was like a three-minute period of time where I flirted with the idea. I, I knew I recognized him, and so when it when it clicked, it clicked. But there was a three-minute period where I was flirting with the idea that it was Avery Brooks because oh, the vocal pattern and stuff. He yeah. really kind of did a wonderful job bringing in a little bit of Ben Cisco because that's his yeah. dad, and bringing a little wow, bit that of that would have been Jake. interesting. Yeah take on it i mean i think tony todd deserves like three emmys for this episode um but i will i will tell my my tony todd story uh, i was gonna go uh dig around and see if i could find it but i didn't maybe i'll look for it next week but um i met tony todd at a star trek convention in 1991 wow like four years three years before they filmed this episode and uh what i remember about him because you just went around the line you said hi and um, he was only known for being Worf's brother, so he he signed a picture of him as Worf brother, Worf's brother to me. But I remember that I was wearing, <laughs> gonna age me, I was wearing a Clinton Gore '92 button uh, on as an 11 year old kid, and he's like, "Hey, you're you're into politics, whatever." So we talked about it a little bit, and he was like, "Yeah, good for you being involved, getting all that kind of stuff." And so he he actually wrote, "Watch the ticket on my on my uh, <clears throat> on my eight by 10 which was which was really cool. He was a really sweet guy, really nice. And at that point, part of what he did at the convention, he was promoting Candyman. Um, and so I don't know was it was it the first Candyman? I think it was probably the second one um, that he was promoting at that point. And cult classics. Oh my god! And 
No, he was promoting the first one. And if I found it somewhere, ooh, I bet this is probably actually worth something these days. Because he was promoting the first Candyman. And uh, he handed out little mirrors that had the logo for Candyman on it. And I think I saved it somewhere. So that's probably a pretty cool piece of like of promo merch for uh, for that series before it even started. Anyway, according to most of the staff on the show, this was one of the best Star Trek ne- Deep Space Nine episodes they worked on, including Avery Brooks and Sarah Clofton, who cited it as one of their favorite episodes. <clears throat> After the episode aired, there was much online speculation that the writer Michael Taylor must have been a pseudonym, pseudonym for Michael Piller and Jerry Taylor. Both were known for writing emotionally driven stories with a lot of heart, but no one had ever heard of freelancer Michael Taylor, and some fans assumed that the producers were playing a joke on them, but they were not. Kira wears a new uniform from this episode onward. The shoulder pads of the old uniform have been reduced and the neck opened. The color is a little darker, and Kira now wears high heels. According to costume designer Robert Blackman, the new outfit was more body conscious. However, although actress Nana Visitor loved it, it wasn't popular among all the fans, and it only gave rise to an internet campaign to return to the old uniform for fear that this one was an effort to turn Kira into a Baywatch babe. Mm. I don't think it quite went that far. Uh, Figure uniforms. Yeah, yeah, it's yes, it's it's much more subtle than people were reacting. The future uniforms and com badges worn in this episode were all reused from the next-gen episode, All Good Things. This episode was nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation, which was won by Babylon 5, the episode Coming of Shadows. The Visitor was also up against Apollo 13, Toy Story, and 12 Monkeys. Talk about a category. Yeah. This episode was nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Makeup for a Series, although the award was won by Voyager's Threshold. Not not as good an episode. And lastly, uh, speaking of the writing of this episode, Renee Echevarria apparently did an uncredited rewrite on this episode. All right, so we have a lot of background information, and we're about to get into it, but before we do, we have some thanks, Mike. We do have some thanks, Keith. Every week... You've seen we do a lot of nonsense, but <clears throat> despite that nonsense, we are we put a lot of work into the show, and that work is somewhat supplemented by the finances, but most importantly, the support of our patrons over at patreoncom m where we also air me watching every episode of these shows that we're talking about. Every minute, my reaction is online, is available. And I might actually watch you guys watching this episode. Yeah, it was it was it was cool. Uh, and I'd like to thank those people: Brian Kimball, Beersock, Casey Clark, Jason Moe, Joshua Cronin, Andrew Hayes, Jorge Novo, and the Mysterious Wharfs, Big Old Buchivs, Charles Babbage, Richard Coleman, Harry Pothead, CRM Productions, Nikolai Delusions at Noon. That's Keith's mom and dad, so it's okay. Delusions, Delusions at Noon. Steve Brown, YouTube viewer. And people who actually send us things in the mail so we can look at them at toys and just because they're, I feel like, family and friends now. J.D. Makes, Colin Dagan, Chris Mitchell and CRM, uh, Pat and Joshua Cronin. And folks, you know, I'm working on, and I'll let you know, we'll let you know on the show when it, it, it happens, but 
We also like try to do AMAs over there. We watched some fun movies together. We did Star Trek V. We're, we're gonna do more stuff, and we want to get more people involved and let you feel the value. And also, people always write and they feel bad when they have to pop off for a while, Keith, because finances or whatever. That, the Patreons add up. I know I support some creators myself, so I get it. Sometimes you have to pip and pop. Uh, and then we never want anybody to contribute if they are unable. But at the same time, I want to let people into the family. We want to grow it. So I'm working on a free tier at patreon.com slash KNM. So you can join and be a part of it and, and help out when you can. Uh, because we're, you know, by no means trying to be exclusive, but also you just can't make any money on YouTube. So we're trying to balance all those things. So I'll let you know when that happens, but check it out at least for a moment, patreon.com slash KNM. Join the family if you can. Keith, I can't wait to talk about this episode and the insightful commentary people have come to expect from our very serious analysis. Well, you're quite serious. All right, so our guest stars for The Visitor. Obviously, Galen Gorg as Corena, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Rachel Robinson as Melanie, <laughs> and coming in just like obliterating the screen, mm -hmm. Tony Todd as mm -hmm. adult Jake Sisko. Let's hop into that screening room and talk about it. Ba -ba 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 Hit those notes. Okay, we begin. Oh, no. It is a dark. Oh, gotta get there. It is. It is a dark and stormy night in an unfamiliar home, but we see a picture of Jake and Ben together. And an old hand picks up a baseball <clears throat> that we're safe to assume is Cisco's. We meet very old Jake, played by Tony Todd, who uses a hypo spray to inject himself with something. Then the doorbell goes off. It's a young pretty woman who has cut herself walking through a storm to get to the house. Turns out she's an aspiring writer, and she's come to meet Jake Cisco, the famous writer. We find out that he is her famous favorite writer of all time. She asks him why he only published two books and stopped writing before he turned 40. And she says she wishes she could read his books again like it was the first time. And he reminds her, you only get one first time and only one last time. He avoids answering her question at first but then agrees to tell the long story. A story that he would not have told any other time, but right this night. The story begins when he was 18, when his father died. So what, so how, all right, let's, let, let's address one thing right off the very top so we don't keep talking about it. Even though this episode was nominated for an Emmy for old people makeup, <clears throat> by today's standards, it's not that good. It doesn't matter to me in any way, shape, or form, but yes, I do see that the old person makeup is not what it would be today. It also is not helped by AI upscaling, but uh, it also isn't distracting, you know what I mean? And to the point, they were clearly, it was clearly, you can tell that it was of its time, and they were proud of it because of how many close-ups. They do not try to hide it or yeah. avoid it in any way, and I think, like you said, it's not really worth the critique I think you have to judge, you always have to judge these things as a product of their time, right? You can't really use today's right. standards as a measuring stick. And I did not find it distracting. 
Um, I didn't find it distracting here, and I think his is the most kind of egregious. And and uh, and any at time we see anybody else, it didn't bother me even less. So, actually, I think the Bashir makeup is probably the second weakest. I think Dax looks great, Nog looks great, everybody else looks great. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and Tony Todd, I mean, he's used to being a Klingon, so he's able mm -hmm. to act through makeup like no problem whatsoever. So I also wrote down here, the score is gorgeous. Oh yeah, the um, score is incredible. And uh, it, it's Dennis McCarthy with the, uh, Stephen M. Rowe is the music editor. But I did, I actually had to go back and check and I went and checked the credits on the episode itself to make sure that it was Dennis McCarthy because mm -hmm. I think he does some phenomenal work here. Yeah, I mean the, the, the intro beats here because they becomes, it's the setting up the entire framing device we were doing a lot of speculation. Is it Grandpa Cisco? Is it Cisco's dad? Or is it a coming home episode? I mean, I definitely did not think it was a, a super flash forward in order to do a flashback, which is really cool. And uh, just a completely different <clears throat> framing device than we've seen for anything else. Mm -hmm. It's almost like one of those like uh, Sherlock Holmes type holodeck episodes from Next Gen, but starting there. Right. You know what I mean? Like we don't, there's no setup, which I think ends up really helping the episode stand alone as one of these, I mean, ostensibly not a bottle episode as much as a bottle story. Uh, yeah. Really cool. Really awesome. The, the vibe is great. And I was a little confused by the relationship between these two in the beginning. I thought, but, but it makes much more sense. Like she's a fan coming to see got her favorite. Author. It all makes sense. It all tracks. It's a gloomy night. I mean, it's just an incredible open. It's one of the best teaser scenes for sure. And and I definitely, I personally love the stories told with this sort of a structure, mm -hmm. where where somebody telling us the story that happened a long long ago as you're working your way through it. Um, it I think it's it, it's obviously like a trope that's been used a lot. I mean, going back to like Citizen Kane is a great example of like old man is slowly deal, you know sprinkling a story of his entire life. I just happen to love that framing device. I love it too. It works especially here too because the the and I don't think it's too early to talk about this. The the problem with that framing device often and this scene almost and and, and this use of it almost suffers from it, but so first, the trope is that it becomes so exposition heavy, right? And you're like, human beings don't talk like that. Human beings don't talk with like so much exposition in their sentences. However, they do when they're writing a book, right? So right. it's very much an author telling a story. He's not like recanting an anecdote, right? He is telling a story as if he is writing it. It sounds like an audiobook. It it reads like yep. he's reading an audiobook. What? And and the questions she asks are the most exposition heavy she's like well why did this and this happen because we need to get that for the audience um but i think it all works in within this framing device very effectively because they're both writers and speak with that vernacular they're, so they're both cool. writers and they're also strangers yeah so she wouldn't know the answers to any of these things and him doling it out like this structured like a story mm -hmm. being a writer but it's also like it's a confession it's a it's right, a and she story. would, but it's... she he doesn't have to overdo it because she's a fan of him, so she's done a lot of research, so she knows the players in the play, and right. also she came with a very specific unifying question. I want to know what filled this gap of time. Why did you stop right. at this point? And so it sets up a bunch of chess pieces that he can go and backfill. Great. Yeah, 
So, uh, in Act 1, old Jake talks about how close he was with his father after his mother died. Right before his father, and, and then says, right before my father died, I was writing a short story and struggling with it. We go back into our contemporary time and see this. So, Ben takes Jake along to the Gamma Quadrant to watch him, to make him watch the wormhole invert. Sounds dirty, but it's not. But Jake, like he said, could just as easily hide away on the Defiant as on the station. And here is where it's interesting, because, like, obviously, for both of us, there is some real personal overlap mm -hmm. with this situation. And for me, I'm obviously connecting with Jake the writer. Yep. And, and like, and, and Ben's point about, like, you know, you got to poke your head up and live your life a little bit. You got to get out of the basement sometimes. You can't spend all of your hours writing and... And my feeling, I'm I'm with Jake. Like I gotta work, I gotta work. You know, this is this is my whole jam, um, and so I identified immediately with that. Um, well, but there's, yeah, there's I mean, a lot there's, of levels. I'm gonna try to a lot of lenses, and that's why I think it's there's so much to. I'm never, whatever I say today and and, and analyze today is just like the first pass at any thoughts I have, um, which is part of the whole thing, which is kind of, <clears throat> yeah, you know, uh. But it's not just through the lens of my personal experience, which we'll get to, uh, because it, it articulates something that I don't think I've seen in media before for myself that relates to an experience that I had in Gen Shares too. We actually had a mutual sharing of it. It's not just losing a parent. That's way too it's way too broad a stroke to like and it connects with a lot of people, obviously, but there's some specifics that don't often get talked about. We'll get there. But also, you know, you we off we talked early, we we ran we talked about a TV guide interview that Avery Brooks did. And he mentioned how important it was for him to show a positive black father-son relationship. Yeah. Um, and what I found unique here is that even is that even in that, they they didn't shy away from showing. They didn't. I guess uh, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Uh, Rose-tinted glasses. It's not perfect all of the time. They sort of force the normal experience right they, they 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 give us a glimpse of what if the the you know the the father's taking away and i don't think that is lost on anybody that there's a there's an an analogy there to be had about that that relationship about maybe a father that's incarcerated or out of the picture or kind of time that is stolen you know, from which them. would you know and again i i think like what avery's pushing back against the stereotypes mm -hmm. the stereotypes of of this being you know, and of course, like this is common among all people, right? You know, all of these different types of estrangement, whether it's, um, but yes, but, and you know, but but certainly this is, um, yeah. So you're playing with so many different expectations all at the same time. It's it's very complex. Uh, all right, so uh, Jake still is obsessively writing. He's working on a story. And Cisco says writers need to live lives, so they need to see more stuff to write about. Come watch the wormhole, do its thing, and then I'll read what you wrote and we can talk about it. Um, such a great way of handling He's such a good dad. Mm. Um, because that's what a writer wants. I want you to pay attention to it. I want you to read it. I want you to talk about it. And I promise I'm going to do that. Now come out and see the, you know, see that shiny orb in the sky. Uh, besides, the wormhole is only going to invert every 50 years and you don't want to miss it. But then something goes wrong with the wormhole. And everything starts shaking. Cisco calls engineering and nobody responds. 
So he heads to find out what's wrong, and Jake follows. Um, interesting, like, I liked having the narration happening, happening over it of old Jake talking about uh, what Jake was doing in the decision-making process. Mm -hmm. I, I just like that storytelling device. I just do. Uh, so engineering is blowing up, and the warp core is about to breach and blow them up unless Cisco and Jake can recalibrate the something-something. Who cares? They've got 30 seconds. That's clearly then, the top of one of those old scales that you stand on. Oh, it does look something like that. Yeah. Or a foot measurer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they repurpose stuff constantly. It's great. Uh, so uh, Cisco is able to save the day. But when he hands the tool back to Jake, there's an energy discharge and Cisco gets zapped, then disappears. Back with old Jake... He explains that he never got over the loss like most people do. So Cisco never came back. He zapped out and was gone. Uh, he describes the memorial service on the station. And Kira talks about the dual mourning that she's going through, losing both a friend and the emissary of her people, which is fascinating thing you know it, it, it's always part of kira's whole interaction with cisco because he's both at the same time which is really intense jake didn't speak at the memorial service he thought that no matter what he said it wouldn't be enough this which is interesting um everyone stepped up to care for him but he'd never felt so alone and we learned that after a few months things started returning to normal for everybody except for Jake. And even Quark is uncharacteristically kind. Um, and I, you know, I imagine for people grieving something like this, that's got to be a pretty common experience. Yeah. Where everybody's really supportive for a while and then people move on, but you've got this giant hole that other people don't have. Well, it's all, you know, it's the circle of grief. So it's, there's, there's just like regular time and subspace time operate on different scales depending on where how close you are to a certain person or who you are individually those your scale of grief and the time with which it processes is either slower or for some people it doesn't move at all which i think this touches upon too and it's also a really unique experience when you're going through a a, a, a close grief you know and you are lucky enough or blessed enough to have people friends colleagues of the people be good to you you know neighbors running even if it doesn't have to be a death or, you know, you're sick or there's someone who's suffering from, you know, going through cancer or chemo or whatever. And people do a meal train and they're picking up the slack and they're taking people to school and they're helping. There's this dual conflicting feelings of being appreciative but being so mired in your grief that you feel, you know, weird animosity towards the people helping because they're, they're too functional or, you know, all that kind of cr right. crap that gets it's hard to piece through it's it's a really tricky time and i think what's worse and this is one of the first times that it's like really specific unique experiences i have that you don't usually get talked about is that jake talks about um it's not just you feel sad you feel stuck in being sad right it's that on top of that you feel guilty for feeling that way and not being able to move forward and that is such a frustrating place to be, right? Because uh, everybody, you know, even Kira is like, you got to get, the, you got to move on, right? She's, you know, both yep. physically, but that is a uh, that is 
a, par- a parable. <laughs> Basically, she's saying you have to you have to get going, and he's like, yeah. I don't want to. This is my home. I, I need to stay in it. I need to be here. And it's it's it was cool to see that t- spoken of. And the you know you talk about that guilt. You know, a lot of people feel guilty for not moving forward. A lot of people feel guilty for moving forward. Yeah, well, we're gonna get to see that a little later too. Yeah, and it's a, it's. I think this handles that incredibly well. So Nog is about to leave for the academy, and he tries to cheer Jake up, but he's naturally depressed. He's not sure what he's going to do. But late the one night in his quarters, there is a flash, and he discovers Cisco sitting on the floor. He asks what happened, then disappears again. Talk. I mean, talk about a mind fuck. <laughs> I mean, like. Oh God! It's we'll talk more about it later, but it's like this adds a, such another layer of complexity to this for poor Jake here. So I'm going to say it here too. So I'm going to front end a lot of this stuff now, and I'm 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 speaking very specific about these things, but I think that that speaks to the 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 appeal of this episode because I'm not unique in my experience, right? But it's just the things we don't talk about, and this is one me and Jen started to talk about because we never we generally have been together for 12 years now. And we both have lost a parent, and that's something that has, you know, was part of our initial kind of uh, connection with one another. But we got to talking yesterday about, like, there's a good portion of time, not directly after our parents passed, but, like, sort of in that first phase afterwards, where I would have these really vivid, lucid dreams of him coming back. Having, Mm. uh, it was, it took two, one of two forms. One... He had just been on a trip, and he was coming back from a trip. And we're like, oh, God, we thought we were dead. But, oh, you were just on a trip, which is weird, right? But also the other one was that he – there was a mistake, right? That there was a mistake. Some sort of science fiction anomaly had taken place, and I'm back now. And dealing with that. And, like – and I was like, holy shit, I have never seen that so well articulated than through this science fiction premise because it is, is exactly that. What I yeah. never thought about, though, Keith, and we're going to talk about going forward, is because in the dream it's always forget forget it. All's forgiven. You're back now. Let's pick up, right? But what is the hell of what if they go back again? And they're trapped somewhere, and we have to get them out. That is like some Twilight Zone level horror. So let's get there. Well, and and it, I mean, it makes me think um, of what you know, because like uh, if you're not in it and it's not your life, you don't understand how important body recoverable, re- re- recoverable. Yes, Jen brought this up. Is. I hadn't thought about it. Or like and POWs, like, you know, people people who are missing as mm-hmm. opposed to dead. That's like you said, special kind of hell. Mm-hmm. That that must be because you're not a hundred percent sure, and and I think this also encapsulates that. And pretty what well. what forms closure? What what different um oh let me get a good word for this. Oh man, if you're looking at a rubric, Keith, you're adding items to a rubric. Those items you would call a like data points yeah or like things that need to be I can't, why can i not think of the word i want then whatever it doesn't matter at all uh the different what qualifies as closure for someone right for some people mm-hmm. it might be i need a funeral that might be important or for some people it might sure. be no i need to see the body 
or I need to know the details. It is different and unique for everyone. No one can judge that for someone else. No, and the, and I think that's that you know, and, and getting older. Criterion. And, Criterion. Yeah, and like and going through watching this process, you know, in in for me, I've been very very lucky that I've been watching this from the outside, but like realizing how personal all of this is mm -hmm. and like my logic does not apply to another person's no. experience going through something like this. And it and the depths it doesn't matter who, right? It could be your you've lost a pet. Uh, some people need Abs to 100% need to absolutely. have them stuffed. Some people need the footprints. So, I mean it you can't Yeah. No. No, for sure. All right, so in act 2, Jake has told everyone that he saw his father, but they thought it was just a hopeful dream like you just described. So he puttered around the station for the next year while Nog is off at the academy and Jake is alone, not writing. Oh, let me insert this real quick because I'll forget to mention it later. This is also why, and we will not get sidetracked on this. What you just described, what we just discussed about, about different people needing the different types of uh, closure and you can't judge it, is why I think there's a special place in hell, should there be a hell, or just my disdain for charlatans who feed on that need of people mm. and do cold reads or say they're mediums or any of that bullshit. Oh my God, yes. I think it is the highest form of just uh, manipulation and just Venal scumbaggery. Yeah. yeah, in my opinion. No, I, I, I completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree. So uh, while all this is happening in Jake's head, the world is also progressing. The tensions with the Klingons are on the rise. So Bajor makes a deal with the Cardassians, and that pisses off the Klingons. And so they decide to evacuate civilians from the stations. Worf and Kira try to talk Jake into leaving the station, but he won't. Later, Kira meets Jake alone. He doesn't want to leave, because he and his father made this home, and Kira is incredibly kind and motherly with him and i loved how this scene was shot mm -hmm. entirely in silhouette i thought i thought the um nana's performance here is just heartbreaking i think i'm mean, underrated not underrated i don't know why i said that uh, i don't want to undersell just how great uh i think Siric is in this episode i think yeah. he really gives a, a really nuanced performance the, the the pathos and the grief is all over him and I think I agree with their decision to let a more mature actor play him older but I don't think that was for lack of his ability no and like and, and he is he's has never been a super emotive actor mm -hmm. the way Tony Todd is but I really buy it here because he's emotionally shut down mm -hmm. I mean he's he's in a true profound depression trying to get through it so he's very shut down and i think that like you see it in his body you see it in his face and i think it really makes a lot of sense uh story-wise so uh then as jake walks home cisco reappears and he was real they take him back to sickbay and find out that his temporal signature is just out of phase and they get a chance to talk and explain to Ben that he's been gone a full year. They frantically try to figure out how to keep Jake, to keep him there as Jake and Ben get a private moment. Ben asks Jake how he's doing, 
And I thought one of the most incredibly effective ways of handling this, Jake doesn't say a word. Mm -hmm. He just silently breaks down. He's overwhelmed with the guilt for not trying to save him after he saw him before. And Ben says, it's not your fault. He starts to phase out again, but he says, I need you to be all right. Then he disappears. Old Jake explains the trauma of losing him again and knowing that he's alive somewhere, like we've been saying, and worse, and that is worse than losing him in the first place. He starts to wheeze a bit, and uh, the young woman says, I should come back, and Jake says, uh, no time, I'm dying. So in Act 3, old Jake immediately says, uh, no, wait, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he takes back the I'm dying thing, um, which is, I, I think this on first glance is kind of a clunky sequence here especially if you see it without commercials mm. i'm dying well no not really right after commercial however in the full context of the story it makes more sense right it's not just a we had to have something exciting to say at the end of the teaser and then it's not really true so we're gonna pull it right back well you know in, in reality he is mm. and um but he also doesn't want to make that the whole thing. So he, I think he said it and then he regretted it mm -hmm. and took it back and put it in, in a different context. Yeah, and also I give him a little credit because he does so in a few different times in the episode. I think Jake, especially old Jake, and I know this is of a lot of elderly people I know um, who are at peace at least with their mortality, which does not describe every, not every elderly person I know, but uh, many. Uh often don't miss an opportunity to pontificate about um, the brevity of life and and taking so you know I think his point is is salient right I we are all we're all dying um, and some some of us are just a little closer to the bottom of the the slide than others and I think that's the well, point and, he's making. and we yeah. we think we are mm -hmm. we don't know like <laughs> the slide yeah. could end you know yeah, in well 10 said. minutes mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yes, what you, you gain with age is just the, the awareness of the fact that you're on a slide. Mm -hmm. So, uh, she says, oh, I'm going to stay anyway. She's a good listener. <laughs> Me and, and Jen discuss... were joking at this point. She's like, am I going to, like, I mean, like, you got, should I get a cab, a hotel? Like, what's the situation here? It's got to be late. Oh, it's super late. Yeah. Super late. He's got a couch, I guess, right? Are we going to make out? Like, uh, there's all the possibilities. They're not going to make out, you perv. I, I always tease about four by three. It's a lot of close talking. I mean, I'm not saying that I wouldn't. But, uh, you know, but I'm not old Jake. So, uh, anyway, uh, they discuss her reluctance to start writing. Then Jake start, continues the story. And I, I loved her little arc here mm -hmm. about, like, because this is where my background really relates, right? Because when I was her age, I was reluctant to take my writing seriously because I thought I needed some certificate or mm -hmm. some like validation that somehow I'm allowed to call myself a writer. That it, it, I, it's you know it's like imposter syndrome turned up to like thirty. So you're reluctant to write, or you write, but you don't think it's real or something mm -hmm. like that. And and he makes the point, like, well, what are you waiting for? Like, yeah. you, you, there is no certificate coming. Get to writing. And I thought that 
that interaction I really ident identified with her mm -hmm. from when I was her age and I identify with him looking back on it now 20 plus years into my writing career yeah the uh, only prerequisite to be an artist is to just make some art just just do art yeah. that's it just do there, art there, yeah. there is no uh there's there there are plenty of gatekeepers for commercial art but art itself has no gatekeepers so o'brien and dax spent months trying to get cisco back but it never works they were going to recreate the accident but couldn't because the wormhole inverts only every 50 years. Then, the Klingon conflict took over, and the Federation handed Deep Space Nine over to the Klingons. This forced Jake back to Earth, where he finally went to the Pennington Writing School. He did what his father said. Mm -hmm. Go be okay. Move forward. So he settled in Louisiana, near his grandfather and his grandfather's restaurant, which we have mentioned before, and maybe, maybe we're going to go visit. We'll find out. And Jake published his first book, and he started turning his life around. He met a woman and got married, and we flash back to now 30-something Jake and his wife in the current house, reuniting with Commander Nog. Hello, Commander Nog and Starfleet. How mm -hmm. freaking cool is that? Mm -hmm. They uh, are celebrating the release of Jake's second book, which won a giant award. So Jake, super actually legitimately super talented as a writer, which is really cool. Um, and also, you know, this is a self-contained episode, right? It, this, this is an alternate universe, you know, it's not the same thing. But Jake's ability as a writer is still there. And so, and so, like, I think we learn from this. Jake has the ability to become a tremendous writer. As Nog has the proclivity to... Has the possibility to mm -hmm. work his way up in Starfleet, for sure. So, uh, Nog says that the Klingons let Starfleet through the wormhole to see what's going on with the Dominion. It's been quiet. Do you want to see, dear friends of the channel, do you want to see something Keith and I talk about often? Now, television acting, sometimes is a little bit heightened as compared to, like, movie acting, let's say. Um, which makes sense. But if you want to see a perfect example, perfect example of subtle acting choices that make a huge character difference, I submit to you this scene with Aaron Eisenberg. Mm. Compare Commander Nog to Normal Nog. Slight vocal changes... Slight yep. posture, body, maturity decisions. Nothing huge that jumps off the screen, but it is a completely different character who has lived an entire life, and it's all there. None of this seems farcical, comedic, anything nope. out of that. Like, he's completely, completely, instantly taken seriously as a commander in Starfleet who has a lot of political and strategic knowledge here and is just and it, but is still friends and has the and these are and and has the the friendship we've seen develop right still intact with a different actor that is chef's kiss I, I think that's such a good point and I think in the screenshot right here is all you need to know mm -hmm. Nog have we ever seen Nog lean back yeah or relax into a chair mm -hmm. ever on Deep Space Nine, but Old Nog is comfortable. He's relaxed. He's got his arm up. I think just physically, the, the that's an adult mm -hmm. sitting. That's not a child sitting. 
not only is he a commander, but like if you think about on top of that, and let's not get too into the weeds because we don't really see too much of his arc or whatnot, but he had, at this point, if all came to pass this way, he wouldn't just be a commander in Starfleet, which is a big enough deal as it is, but he would have single-handedly been probably the most hated and the most beloved Ferengi of all time. Yeah. Right? For sure. Certainly famous. I mean, because he dovetails Worf, mm-hmm. the first and only Ferengi in Starfleet, the first and only Klingon in Starfleet. And so they have a lot in common going through that that experience and, and how and we see in the last episode how torn and complex that relationship is for Worf. But Worf was raised on Earth by humans. Nog was raised by Ferengi. So this anyway. entire conversation Keith and I just had is something he would have done in his trailer and probably a conversation he had with right. uh, the director of the episode and probably uh, Tony here. But then yeah. you just have to go and do the scene, and it's never meant. None of that is ever explicitly said. You just have to bring it, and that's some just, great acting by Aaron Eisenberg here. Kudos. Yeah, 100%. So we find out that in the Klingons' uh, control, the Deep Space Nine has fallen into disrepair. But Morn is now running the bar, cool. and Quark finally got his moon, which he mentioned last. His, his cousin Gala got a moon, and Quark always wanted one. So we have a happy ending for Quark here. Back with old Jake, he drops the tea. Something is wrong with him, but he keeps telling the story. Later that night with 30s Jake, who is frantically writing his next story and gets booty called by his wife, who is Bajoran. Nice little little dovetail there. Giving Jake a difficult choice of sex versus writing. Um, Which, to me... I, I, I say this, like, if I'm in my flow state, y- yes, that's great, that's wonderful, but, like, can we do it in a couple of hours? Can we do it tomorrow? Because when you, uh, you know, look, it is, I think it speaks to how intense the love of when you're when you're in it, writing, that, like, I would probably choose that over that. Like, if, yeah, if I'm I think making it's good also, progress. There's that, and I think there's also an element of many of us, I'm sure you're especially writers, know that when the door's closed, the door's pretty locked. It's hard to open that door when it's closed. And so when it be open, you you don't take that for granted. No, 100%. Well, and and this is is the storytelling from the episode standpoint, right? Right. The episode is is about, you know, life-work balance, life-passion balance, and, and... you know, not letting your obsessions prevent you from living your lives because it isolates you and it breaks relationships. We're actually seeing this is the healthy way to do it. And my broken ass brain, I'm like, but he's working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's that's my broken ass brain. Well, but it's also they're who gets to dictate it, right? Like that's the other part of the story. I think it's important is who gets to decide what passions you choose and when you choose them. Like, and what do you? What we'll get to it. Yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, uh, but the point is, he's happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then there's another flash. Cisco has returned again. In Act 4, Ben is delighted to hear how well Jake is doing. And Jake wants to go call Starfleet, but all Ben wants to know is more about Jake's life. He's thrilled to see Jake's books. And then Jake breaks down again. And he says, I'm sorry for giving up on you. Another, this, is, oh. this is the one. All of them are great scenes, but this is the one that, like, 
both like stabbed us in the heart because it's literally the thing you only thing you think about is what if I was sad when I, I lost my dad when I was pretty young. I was I was nine, pretty 18, close to 19. Jake's age. Yeah. yeah, I mean almost exactly yeah. Jake's age, weren't you? Yeah. Well, I was twenty. You're twenty, yeah. so Jake was eighteen. Yeah. But I definitely didn't feel twenty. I was definitely much younger at the time, immature. But regardless, to this day, the only thing right is I want my dad to know me now, mm-hmm. this guy, because I'm I'm fully baked. Right, for better or for worse, but at least I feel like I am who I am now. Yeah, and I want n- not just him to know that, right, but to have a conversation, like an adult conversation, get to know who my father was, because the questions and the and and the framing you have as a child, for better or for worse, is not the same as when you reach the point where you realize your parents are mortal; they are just people yeah. making it up as they go along, and you give you cut them that slack, right? It's not just you fucked my life up or you're God, right? Which is what... Well, and they're able to see you as an adult and not as a large child. Yeah, and, 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 you know, outside the confines of whatever fucked up marriage that my parents had and, like, all kinds of stuff. I would just love a conversation, just one lunch, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think as many, as, as many questions as I have, as many conversations as I'd like to have, I feel like what's amazing about this is that if right now my dad apparated and I got that chance, stop the podcast, we're going to have lunch... My reaction, even though I have these questions and I have all of this stuff prepared, would be Jake's. Just just a absolute emotional like breakdown and inability to articulate, which is like exactly what you get here. He doesn't jump yeah. at the chance to hang out with the dad. He just can't he's riddled with bullshit that uh it's just so pure. And but that but but Cisco is like what a parent would be, right? Like right. do you have any kids? What are you doing? What are you up to? Just let's hang out. For, yeah. Forget Dax. Like, you don't have to save me. Talk to me. Oh, God yeah. damn it. This is a great scene. Yeah. Okay, so, but I'm I'm curious, though, because Jake here obviously is feeling guilt for moving on with his life and not trying to save his dad. This is sort of a weird and oddly personal question, but, like, what would your feelings because you, you you say you would feel the same as Jake, you'd sort of you'd have that. Would you have any feelings like that? Well, I mean, th- that's knowing the thing. that you couldn't, you know. See that one of the things about this episode that I I don't want to call it a critique, but like a problem that keeps it from being pure is that the sci-fi of it, right? Like if you really break this episode into two halves, right? The sort of allegory of it. I think it's an allegory about grief. I think pretty right. pretty obviously and the sci-fi of it. The sci-fi of it is actually pretty horrific, right? Because he's basically trapped in a purgatory that, and the people he leaves behind know it, right? Yeah, oh, it's terrible. And so that clouds, that blurs a lot of the, like, the direct analogy of it, but I think it's actually an additional allegory is what it is, but... Um, so it wouldn't be one to one because obviously, in order for your hypothesis to me or your uh, hypothetical, I'd also have to have some sort of potential agency to bring him back permanently. Right, right, right. Which yeah. I think is what Jake is trapped with here. Um, but yeah, it would be. There's a survivor's guilt, even for a parent who, like, you know, parents are supposed to die before their kids. Right. But there's still like a. 
to in order to get all the good stuff, you have to hurdle a lot of the thing because one thing that they my dad or Cisco here don't doesn't get to share, right? They, all they want to hear is the good stuff. Tell me about the kids. Tell me about the books. But what they weren't there and can't be there to help with is that grief. Like yeah. that's, that is a, that is a hurdle your parent can never, or your person you love or whoever can never a burden they can never help you share, which is weird. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, and there's there's stuff you can do ahead of time a little bit. My but. mom is 80, uh, almost 80 years old, and when you bring up her parents to this day, even if you're talking about good stuff, good times, she still instantly, and it's sad, we'll talk about my mom in a bit, it's instantly she just becomes a sad child who wants her parents mm. and can't have them. That is fucking sad. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not yeah. answering your question, but it's an. Exp- I just thought I'd share it. Let's, let's, we better push. Yeah. We'll talk no. about all this in the in the dump at the end. Yeah, it's, it's going to be our longest episode ever. Everybody yeah. get a snack. Yeah. Uh, but uh, like you said, Ben, he just wants to know what's going on. And he wants grandkids. Then he disappears again. So Jake goes back to Dax. And they've discovered that there was a subspace link between Jake and Ben. And that Jake has been tethering Ben back. And there are a pattern to the disappearances. So now they'll be able to anticipate them. Which was important sci-fi information because I kept thinking it was directly tied to the inversion, which they clearly state is every 50 years. And so I was like, the timeline's not making sense because he saw him right right a year later. Because it's not, right. That's what triggered it, but that's not what's triggering this go to come back. It's more like Fibonacciol, if you will, right? It's like there's a pattern, there's a math, and they establish that, but we're not going to be privy to it. It's like, you know. Based, yeah. based on a bunch of factors. Well, it's it's that the the inversion and the accident triggered it. Right. But they, it is not the solution they thought it was going to be. Um, so uh, they know that the next time that Cisco will show up, Jake will be an old man. So at the age of 37, Jake abandons his writing and devotes his life to saving his father. It ends up pretty much ending all other parts of his life, including his his marriage. It's a huge sacrifice. It's a tremendous sacrifice uh, that Ben would not have him make. We'll talk more about that later. Mm-hmm. Then he makes a plan to recreate the accident because now it has been 50 years since the wormhole inverted and it's going to invert again. So they take the Defiant out of mothballs and get the old crew back together. We get a chance to see everyone in old people makeup. It's not great, but who cares? <laughs> they uh, they see the station again for the first time in a long time. Nog now outranks everybody, including Dax and Bashir. Um, and we see that Dax and Bashir, wherever they are in their lives, they're together somewhere. One asking, them, did they marry? What's going? What is their relationship now? Unclear. Well, no, because um, she's talking about how annoying it is that all he does is talk about his kids and grandkids, so I don't think they're together. Oh, okay. Well, I suppose that's true. Uh, they technobabble for a bit, then start the experiment. It's their only chance. Ben starts to appear, and then Jake starts to fluctuate as well, and they get pulled into subspace, and they are able to talk in the glowy white space. Jake tries desperately to contact Dax and Bashir, but Cisco again, just wants to talk about how Jake is doing. 
Jake is now older than Ben. And he explains the wreckage that has happened in his life in his desperation to save his father. Ben begs Jake to let him go and live his life. Then Jake reappears on the Defiant without his father. And Dax holds a sobbing Jake back on the Defiant. Ugh. Brutal. Brutal. And, you know, the... I think think you actually put it really well that this sci-fi twist on this is... It's not sci-fi. It's horror. Mm-hmm. It is flat horror. Well, it's, it's actually Jake horror. Here. And I'm going to save it till we get to the final beat. But right. it closely... I have a hypothesis that is very horrific and mimics the end of the Dark Tower. So I will attempt to... Uh, I will attempt to... Not spoil the Dark Tower, but also yeah, talk about how this it, is very Stephen King and... Yeah. I have I think I have a way to, to frame it all. So but it's it's we'll get to it. Yeah. So But also subspace five. is a place. Oh yeah. Like an actual place. And to think thank goodness they they clarified that they clarified that Ben is that time is operating very like to him this is probably what, an hour of time? The whole thing is probably an hour of time for him in subspace, let's yeah. say. Yeah. Thank goodness, because otherwise, can you imagine, not only are you living in some sort of, like, alternate hell, but it's just a white room with Sitting nothing. Sitting in a white nothing. room yeah. forever. Oh, Ooh, my God, yeah. that brings up all kinds of... Ugh. So, in Act 5, it's morning in Ancient Jake's house. He shows Melanie a new book that he's just finishing. He did what Ben asked and tried to rebuild his life. He offers her a copy of the book, but she wants the manuscript with his handwritten edits. Smart girl. Um, that's what I would want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can say it's it... mine and steal it. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> I have proof of custody. <laughs> no, but like that's, again, like writing in, back into the writing world. Mm-hmm. Like that's definitely what you want. Uh, oh, yeah. You want to see the thought process. Mm-hmm. So he mentions again, Jake does, that he's out of time and that he figured out what went wrong. The tether between him and Ben is what's trapping him in subspace like a rubber band. He needs to sever the link when they're together to send Ben back to his proper time. And Melanie puts it together. Well, theoretically send one of them back to their proper time, right? Because if it works that way, then theoretically, if he just, if like when Ben zapped back, if he shot Ben in the heart, theoretically, Jake would pop back, right? No, No, because I guess Ben was the one who got zapped. Right, right. So he's the time traveler. So Ben Ben is in subspace, and Jake is moving forward in time, and he gets pulled in every once in a while, and needs to get the rubber band super tight, then cut it, and then he'll go back to where he's supposed to go. Okay. So, so Jake can't go. And then theoretically, if if he undoes what it was done, this Jake never existed. So this entire offshoot existence never happened. Yeah, sort of like That's it's right. like so if we all the temporal stuff we've done on different Star Treks uh, un- operate under the premises that there are concurrent timelines, but this would actually be vaporizing one timeline. I think killing. Yeah, so it's like yeah, you can have my book. Cause, yeah, go write something. None of this sh- theoretically none of this will have mattered. You you won't exist at least in this timeline. Uh, 
Yeah, it's crazy because he's wiping out an entire universe. Everyone is trying to help him wipe out an entire universe, um, which is a, a similar dilemma that we saw in uh, on Strange New Show when uh, Laon and Kirk go back, and Kirk's like, mm-hmm. "If we fix this, I don't exist." Yep. Um, and leaves anyway. potential dangling chads, right? Like our like clone O'Brien. Well, right, but it's like. I mean, it's it's not really a dangling chat. It's just like a... It's oh, a, it's a memory of a bad acid trip for Ben. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Oof. Melanie puts it together. Ben is coming back today, and he's going to cut the cord. Jake makes her promise to poke her head up from her stories every once in a while and live a life that won't happen if this works. He doesn't say that part. Mm-hmm. Jake sits down, and Melanie thanks him, kisses his cheek, and leaves him. And I wrote, and I'm crying again. I cried through the last 20 minutes of this yesterday, when I just watched it for the sake of watching it, and I'm doing it again, just writing the damn recap. Well, actually, it's a really awesome character beat for like this character, nothing character, who's really just like a, a narrative device, Melanie. Because, you know, like... I wouldn't blame her for to be like, holy shit, that's incredible. Can I sit and watch? Can I be here? Can I stick around? But she's like, you know what? This is like a really personal thing. Also, if she's probably on her walk home, she's like, oh shit, I don't even winks out of existence. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if she would put together that she wouldn't exist in this timeline. Yeah, I think what she probably takes from all this is that Oh, he's. This is going to be his last visit with his dad. I should let them probably do this alone. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Um, no, she she's very respectful. I mean, for someone who showed up in the middle of the night at his house asking him a deeply personal question. Well, speaking of Stephen King, I was like, this. The first five minutes of this uh, have all kinds of misery vibes. <laughs> yes. She's well, like, I'm your a, biggest fan. <laughs> it's it's misery mixed with. Um, uh, uh, not the last stand. The uh, the one with the the four kids and they go searching for the body. I think it's called the body. The body. Is, stand yeah. by me. Stand by me. The movie right. was Stand by Me. Yeah. The, yes. The, uh, Which is actually in a compilation called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. It was with that Shawshank Redemption, apt pupil, and the body. Yes. Well, it's it's called uh, different seasons. Different seasons. Yeah. Is the compilations. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Stephen King nerds, what's up? Uh, Holly was released last week. By the way, I got it. It's great. I I don't I don't I don't see contemporary things. So that's why KM Geekly is just a solo show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, Jake gets up from a very low bench that no old person would ever sit on, <laughs> then grabs another copy of the new manuscript and his father's baseball. He sits back down. <laughs> <It's really low. laughs> No, have you ever met an old person? They're not going to sit on that because they're never going to get up. Um, but he grabs these things, sits down, and falls asleep. Which I thought, oh god, but the detail here of him falling asleep mm-hmm. and then waking up, his father waking him. This breaks my heart every time. Yeah, this Cause, kills me. Well, it's an experience you never get, right? Like, yes, there's something to be sad for. You want to see the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life? In retrospect, is when my dad was dying. I thought it was, you know, the experience was very about me at the time because that's just where I was and what I was dealing with. But thinking back, what I think about is my grandparents. 
think about the times in your mm-hmm. life. Think about if you know anyone who lost a child and just the, yeah. you know, even a stillbirth or things like that. What a horror that is. It's just not the natural order of things. And so the experience you don't ever get, no one gets, is your parent holding their their child as an old person, right? Like, and and seeing it's 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 him as an old person, but the dad like doing what parents do, which is like even your nieces or whatever, you just watch them sleep because it's it's so there's so much in this little beat. You're right, it is beautiful. It can't even it's hard to articulate why, but well, and, it is. And for me, the heartbreaking part is just the honesty and innocence mm-hmm. of an old person falling asleep. Yeah, yeah. Like that. he falls asleep. This is the most important moment in his all his like entire existence he knows his, he's been waiting for 50 years for his father to come back but he fell asleep yeah. almost and misses it <laughs> he almost misses it yeah. and and like there's something so like honest and heartbreaking about that too but oh. then that that oh, look very take, Brooks, oh the that shot of avery brooks's performance in that screenshot mm-hmm. and all of the depth and humanity just in that freaking screenshot and I, I i want to i don't give a shit if it's true or not i want i am deciding that it is hard reality that uh who directed this episode uh livingston wasn't it? oh yeah livingston yeah. sat down and said look for this take just look at just look as if you're looking at a baby picture of your son just like yes. the day they were born because yes. that's that juxtaposition here is what is so unique and special and it's beautiful yeah, and he's, and the the lighting of the early morning sun. Mm. Oh my god! Like that is the hero shot you've ever seen. One, anyway, that shot kills me. Kills me. Yeah. So Ben wakes him up gently. He is thrilled that he got back to writing because he sees the manuscript. Um, in my in my head canon, he read the yes. book mm-hmm. while he was sleeping. Yeah, hundred percent. Um. And, uh, but Jake says, read the dedication. And it says, to my father who is coming home. Jake explains that it was him who was dragging Ben through time like an anchor. Then Ben sees the sci-fi syringe. He's taken some sort of poison and is committing suicide. Jake says, dodge the energy discharge. Ben is heartbreaking, broken. You didn't have to do this, not for me. And Jake says, for you and for the boy that I was. Jake, my sweet boy. Then Jake dies. Ugh. I can't even, like, read the lines out loud. So basically, he made this, he realized this after the apparitions, right? So he was in his, like, 50s at that, 60s? Yeah, well, I think it was 70. All right, so if he... It was 50 years after he was 18, so he was 68, and this is now 17-some-odd years after that. Okay, so the past 20 years, he's basically known the rest of my life means nothing. Right, because I'm it's a countdown clock. Countdown to hopefully undoing it all. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. And instantly, Cisco is back on the Defiant. He dodges the beam, and he and young Jake fall to the floor. The entirety of the experience registers on Ben's face because he remembers. Jake does not. 
Uh, he asks, are you okay, Dad? And he gives the most heartbreaking I am now line read uh-huh. you'll ever see. Jesus, what a performance from all three of them. Uh, well, don't skip the next line, because the next line is, I forget, Jake sets him up and he says, I, this time we got lucky, I think he says. Or how did you know that was coming? He says, this time we got lucky. Which brings me to my Ken, my horror Ken, if you will. Okay. Yeah. So the Dark Tower for those who don't know, just a quick brief thing is a seven novel, but it's really more, but seven novels of a venture towards this tower that holds all of the beams of reality and time, right? To save it from bad guys, ostensibly. The One of the big revelations, and I will just say cursory, is that however things pan out, read the books, you find out that it's the tower is what not surprisingly secular, right? And so it's just like happening on loop. So like the seven books that you just read basically have happened over in over perpetuity and over, and over, and over, and over time. Yeah, always. When Ben says here, this time we got lucky, opens the possibility that every time he goes back to that second, the beam hits him again and we boop, we just do it again. We do it all over again. So it just happens that in this time, so Ben could have been in that purgatory going going on hundreds of times until the time he was able to dash it at the last time and undo yeah. and break the and break the beam. And I was like, holy crap, that is some sighing by right there. Woof. Wow. Yeah, I like it. All right. Well, we'll try to be quick. <laughs> let's get to uh let's come along home. All right, uh, let us begin with, uh, were there any wormholes in the plot for you, Michael and Deglio? Well, I mean, it's really tough because I guess the wormhole would be, because they really, because they, they do lean heavy enough into the sci-fi of it all that it that it matters, you have to kind of scrutinize it slightly. I, I mean, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. I don't think it's the important thing, but there's they spent enough t- they spent enough time on it that it needs to make sense, and I think it does. First, I think it makes enough sense. They just had to make a decision to not focus on the specifics too much, right? Like the well, what is the Fibonacci sequence, and what is the like actual like how is he dragging him through? Like what is the thing? Right, right. And I just don't think they spent enough time on it for it to be like satisfying in any way, but it. Is an, it makes enough sense to get us through, and I think that is a wormhole in just. But that's what I said. Like you have to, you they can't. You have to choose. Are we making this a character drama, or is this going to be about the the horror science of it? In fact, just in our conversation, I realized that the actual science fiction story is actually much better than I thought. My biggest complaint going into recording today was that it, it the science fiction part felt a little convenient, and it felt a little like just as a, a means to clean it all up at the end. But it actually has some shit to say, really, when you think about it. And about how, is that sacrifice that Jake made worth it, right? Like, is anything worth it at the end of the day? Is, like, living your life and living your truth, is sacrificing that for anything worth it? I don't know. That's It's an open-ended question. It's not for yeah. conversation. But 
So at the end of the day, Keith, the answer to my question is no, not really. I mean, the other convenience would be is like everybody gets a happy ending. Like this this particular future, ev all of our, everybody's like didn't just do okay. They did great. Like everybody ended up pretty thumbs up well, for everyone. The Ferengis got away all right, but we don't really know yeah, about anybody fair. else. Yeah, there's there aren't really any. I don't. You know, and even the, like, the convenient tropes, like the stranger in the night showing up and why is she there? Like, there's a lot of questions you could ask, but it makes enough sense. Like, but it happens. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it, with, you know, they do the Salinger thing. Yeah. Like, that 100% happens. So it's just a long way to say, no, I don't have any wormholes, Keith. Yeah, I, I, I don't either. Um, like, you know, they, they don't explain much of the, of the sci-fi, but what they explain of the sci-fi does tie together. Mm -hmm. Um... And I also like the fact that it wasn't solvable, right? That like, because always on Star Trek, you know, Dax or or O'Brien or Bashir, or somebody will figure it out, and mm -hmm. we can fix this, and we can use the containment field to get him to come back from the whatever, whatever. Um, the fact that it didn't work or didn't work without consequences, I think, was I liked that. They also set it up as a, with a failsafe, though. That that was that was interesting because. Had they not added the bit that they had to be together when he severed the rubber band? Right. Right. Because then you would have said, well, what was really the point? Because eventually Jake was going to die and then he was going to go gonna back bounce. anyway. Yeah. Right. The fact opens the possibility that should Jake have not made that choice or not figured that choice out or stepped in front of a bus sometime, yeah, Ben would have been there stuck forever. Forever. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting. So, you know, that yeah, adds. I mean, it's. It it's dark. It's really, really it does, dark. It does actually solve my wormhole in that of like, does it, should, is that sacrifice worth anything? Because starting if I go into it, clearly there was some political and galactic unrest and some bad S was going down. We don't get the specifics of it, but it ain't all good. And right. potentially the only variable that could change that, much like your, your, your pikes of the world, is right. Ben's living. And right. staying the emissary and staying the the captain, and the only way that's possible to fix whatever might be broke is right. to undo that variable, and only and Jake can do it. A hundred percent. And looking forward, like you know, some good things happen, some bad things happen. Is it w worth it? <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, like so, some bad things happen. We lost the station to the Klingons. But some other things are going to happen. Like, maybe it would have been better. Maybe that wouldn't, you know, for the galactic stakes, maybe that wouldn't have been the worst possible outcome. So I closed my own wormhole. So that's good. Yeah. All right. Let's talk best moment. Oh, man. Okay. So I already gave honorable mention to that scene with Aaron Eisenberg and Nog because I think it's just like so, it actually is like so progressive and so amazing and it does so many things but it does yep. them potentially, right? It says that it, that's all possible. All things are possible. But it doesn't commit to them, which is like... The one critique I think you could have this episode is like it it lets itself off the hook, right? It like makes all these like huge what-ifs and then washes them all away so they don't have to commit to any of them. So, um, But that's like what the episode is, so you can't fault it for it. Um, Except but, for what stays is Ben's memory of yeah, and we'll talk. I feel like that's a conversation we're gonna have. Um, and if you figure, if if you allow for my, it was it's been looping. It's not just been having lived that hour. It's having been yeah. been trapped in that. Who hour knows for a while. how many yeah. times? Yeah. Um, 
until Jake figured out. Okay. Anyway, uh, but I think for it's both, I mean, it's that scene, that scene, oh man, I'll let you talk about the last time, their last reuniting. Yeah. It's that middle one where middle-aged Jake, like, gets that conversation with dad of, like, after I've, I've done some good in my life, I've done some bad, uh, but this is what it is. Like, let's, it's so good to see you. That, that experience and just, like, capturing that moment, it's good, it's bad, and it's in between is just, like, to, I've never seen that on TV before. I just haven't seen it. Mm. And the, the idea of the, I lost my parent and, like, they, or they're, I'm, I'm not, I'm not dumb enough to really believe that they're just coming back. But those dreams confuse you. You wake up confused yeah. and just, like, what, wait, what? weird man i can't explain it other than like just your body trying to process something it can't process and so it just leaves you dumbfounded and to see that that even allegorically be expressed on television oh man it's crazy to me that i never watched this because it would have it would have preempted by like only a couple of years an experience i was gonna have so anyway that so that the all of the scenes of them reuniting throughout the years but yeah i mean it's kind of stupid to pick an entire just pick one scene from this entire episode um i just picked the whole episode thank you very much but i think um for the sake of picking i'm going to pick the tiny moment where we see adult or we we see ben cisco watching his sleeping son who is now ancient and i think it's and it's the it's one of the many emotions that he feels on his face right there and that is his joy and his pride in seeing that Jake reclaimed his life mm. you know at, you know in that middle spot he lost his life but then he obviously can see the manuscript is there he's reclaimed his life he's still in the house and he's sitting there assessing yeah assessing the entire life of his son how many parents no no parents get to look at their 80 something year old kid and assess their entire life and be proud of them for what they've accomplished and to be able to see that and in that moment he's able to see you know the entire scope of his son's life no parent gets to do that and uh it's kind of it's such a, an amazing little moment there. It's nonverbal, but Avery Brooks crushes it. Yeah, uh, and, so and I'll say moment. that, you know, it, it's all timing and context. I'm at a point in my life where, you know, it's funny, you spend so much time. We'll talk about this in the, in, in the, in the conversation about you spend so much time in your life, be them alive or dead, trying to make your parents proud or trying to do it do right by them and you can imagine how compounded that is and how it's rife with setting up for failure or compounding your failures when your parent isn't there but there was a time keith where that bitterness of grief i can see where this episode where at the end jake gets to save the day he gets to to bring dad back and he gets mm-hmm. to have lived his life and done it all and had and got the moment where dad tells you he's proud and then be the hero would have probably yeah. pissed me the fuck off and been like mm. that's not how it happens that's bullshit yeah. a little bit unfair yeah 
So I could see where people might have a visceral reaction to that and, and dislike it. That is probably the only reason I could see why you wouldn't, this would rub you the wrong way. Because I, there was a time. But now I see that the point is that dad is proud regardless, dude. Dad is saying that's the point, right? Yeah. And that you can't live your life to do that thing for somebody else. And I think that is the that is what the episode ultimately is trying to say and using all of these things to prove that point. Um, but I, I'm glad I could, we had a moment to, to, to bring up that, yeah, there is an unfairness to it, but it's not a horror episode, right? It's Star Trek and it's it's trying to, to find that, that silver lining and, and show that beautiful oh. moment, so. Let's well, hand out some stem bolts, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to move this picture up because I don't want to blow everything. No. You get some stem bolts. Hell yeah, they are self-sealing. Here are some stem bolts for you. Like I said, my mom, it's unfortunate. She was never able to really work through a lot of her grief about things in life. And so that is a trap she got trapped and this episode has the balls to show that trap um now we're lucky that jake gets out of the trap or at least is able to reset the trap but not everybody does and i think that's a reality that isn't often shown on television we get to see it i think that um i look at my wife and some of her siblings i won't get too specific because it's not fair and discuss this with her so but She's done a lot of work to move through her grief in losing her parent, and some of her siblings have not. And the difference in how it affects their lives is pretty stark. Mm. And uh, it shows the importance on on finding your tools for you individually to, to move through those things. And I think one of the most important things to bring up, you brought up at the very beginning, is that that finding that closure, however it comes is important nay could could chart the course of the rest of a life so you know oh well uh your 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 kid passed away or killed or whatever and and the they caught the guy and they proved it was him the forensic evidence proved it but they never found the body but you got the guy well maybe that's not good enough right Maybe until that guy gives you the, where that body's located, what what's the, what difference would it make? Well, it ain't for you to decide what difference it would make, right? But there's importance to that. There's what this episode ends up doing is it it it's saying that all of those feelings, all of those experiences, the good, the bad, the in between, because Jake feels them all. That's the cool thing about the episode is that it doesn't. And I thought it was going to be my complaint. It pick, doesn't pick one thing for Jake. It it found a way to have him have all the experiences. He found he he had to quit, he had to obsess about saving his dad, so he gave up writing. But then it was able to he was able to get it back to prove make his dad proud, but also save his dad. He was able to do all of the things in a satisfying way for the episode. Um, the framing device allowed it to be very very. This reminded me very much of some of my favorite comic books, Keith. One of my problems with comic books is that if you're not in on an arc to try to catch up to where they are like if somebody's like oh this particular run of the comic is great you got to jump in and then you jump in and you're like what the hell's happening and you don't want to read like 30 30 episodes to get in 
some of my favorite episodes or favorite comics are the what if comics. Marvel did them, mm-hmm. DC's done some, which are just like standalone comics, stories outside of the main continuum that are self-contained and awesome. And they trust the writers, the novel or the the readers enough to say, we don't got to explain, it's just a what if, right? My thought was that this episode was going to have to lift so many boulders in order to get to the what if. There's so much do so much sciencing to get to the what if that it would be kind of cumbersome. But it doesn't do that. It doesn't spend as much time. This ostensibly this episode is a what if. Yes, there are some lasting ramifications, but it's really a what if. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. It's so good. Uh, let's get to the to the beef of it. I want to let you talk about the story a little bit. Um, Because you've had time to chew it a little bit. Let's just talk about the performances alone. Dude, Tony Todd. I love Candyman. I've seen him in other stuff. I like Tony Todd. I did not know. I did not know. Incredible. Avery Brooks, who you know I love, has a tendency, like I said, to do some bizarre kind of line reads or just does his own thing or sometimes... Is a, is so kind of um, unorthodox that it can be read as uh, heightened or and or overdoing seen, it, overdoing yeah. it, scene sure. chewy. Not here. He was a taste yeah. is about knowing when to hold them, when to fold them, when to walk away, when to run, and he knew what he had to bring to this. He knew he was a he was a member of the ensemble, not the main course, and he right. kind of blended. And he just because he was he was playing Ben Cisco, but he was playing everybody's dad. He was playing parent, and yeah, in a fable, right? He was like he was playing a parent in a fable, which is an important thing, right? It wasn't about him. It wasn't about Ben Cisco. Uh, he was part of an allegory, and because of that, uh, Tony Todd and Sirik Lofton got to be the feature and got to. Yeah. Experience Mm-hmm. express such point. great stuff I thought that um, uh, I already talked about this Aaron Eisenberg like sh- showed you what was up here uh, I thought Nana Visitor in her brief little appearances beautiful Terry Farrell pretty good I was let me so the performance is can you say the best episode of Star Trek is starring people who are not the or- main cast that is right. tough. I can understand that. That's tough to say. That is tough to allow. But we got to look. Major Barrett in duet. I mean, it's not unprecedented that we have guest stars being featured people. Right. You know what but I mean? Not duet, but yes. Uh, uh, who's the one in duet? That the... who's that guy? Sorry. Oh. Uh, um. Also, but also that episode is yes. majorly great because of him. I'm talking yes. about the one with Odo and the elevators duet, or is uh, the oh, one with Major uh, That's uh, um, the, the Begotten, Misbegotten. Regardless, my okay. point stands. Um, just to touch on something so universal as, like, you know, anyone who had any parent relationships, you can either find yours in this or find what you wished yours was in this. You know, there's so much... It's just so beautiful. I mean, I don't know that I've cried before in Trek, and we both definitely did. Um, okay, so so I do have... Here would be my my one critique of the episode, and it's it's only worth noting because 
you know, it's like the music, the lyrics in the show. You got to say it. When we see, I think they did such a great job with Nog when he gets older, that when we see Bashir and we see Dax, even if it's that brief little scene, instead of finding something interesting, they just, it was very much like old people tropes. Like, oh, you complain too much. Oh, you're mm-hmm. this. Oh, the, the dialogue there just sucked. Just straight sucked. I'm not even going to put it on their performances. I thought that sometimes Alexander Siddick kind of overdoes his when he's asked to like play old. This is the second time, and it didn't work the first time, and it just doesn't work this time. Whatever. I the, the writing wasn't good, so I'm not even going to lay it on him. But it's so nominal, right? Yeah. Right? I wish I'd been a couple of better couplets of lines. It would have fixed it for me, but whatever. It is what it is. <sighs> I also love the huge political drama episodes, the Game of Thrones episodes of this show. Those are generally, which, but man, this one really hit a spot and it's been growing on me. I loved it when I saw it, but I convinced myself, like I tend to do, like, oh, it's so popular, I have to find, I have to cut it, I have, <laughs> you to, have, to, have to find it. It can't possibly be as good as everyone says it is. And I'm just finding myself falling more and more in love with it and just loving the fact how surprised I was by it. And so whilst, Keith, I cannot, in good conscience, give the full 100 stemples. Do you have my highest ranking? Your highest ranking, I believe, uh, in history was a 97 for the die is cast. Well, Keith, because the next loop around might be 100. In this loop, I leave a little room to grow. And I'll say 99, self-sealing stemples for the visitor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with every every piece of that. And, I, you know, I'll try not to retread stuff we've already talked about, man, because I have to pee. But the uh, we've been talking for more than two hours now. No, no, no. <laughs> um, no, no. The episode is going to come in right at two hours, so we're good. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My <laughs> we're not being paid by the hour. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're not being paid I, at I, all. We're not being paid at all. Yeah. No. Uh, I, I, I think... Um, I'll, I'll just point out the one thing that I thought about while we were discussing this is the most complex relationship in someone's life and I think I think it's fair to say perhaps even more complex than with your spouse is you with your parents be, not be, your, your relationship with your spouse may be longer Mm-hmm. Right, may have you know you may go through more of life stages together, but that formative relationship, through being an infant, through being a child, to being an adult, I think that because those are the formative years because they form you, right? And and I think the relationship between parent and child is so profoundly complex: the good, the bad, the ugly, the way that you look at things, the way that you disagree, the way that you agree, the way that they shape you, both by similarities and you shape yourself by being different there's just an infinite amount of complexities in a parent-child relationship and i think about you talk about the multiverses and all the various various things the character the number one character in this episode is the relationship between ben and jake and that type of love that type of relationship that type of support is what this whole episode is about and it guides everything that happens in the show and I think about 
okay, they have Ben and Jake have this beautiful, loving, specific, almost idealized relationship. This story told again with any other type of parent-child relationship would be a completely different story. Mm. And it's really fascinating to think through, well, what would this be with, you know, with, with, with Odo and his sort of surrogate father? What would this be with, with Bashir and his father, who we're going to meet, and, and all of these other things? Like, what would it be like with you? What would it be like with me? How would that shape the rest of our lives if, you know, that relationship were a little bit saltier, if there was conflict, if there was not conflict. Like, it's just a really fascinating thing. Um, but that's besides the point. I, I think that there is no episode of Trek that makes me feel as much as this episode. You know, there are more exciting episodes. There's some really thought-provoking stuff. There's some amazing sci-fi stuff. There's just some amazing performances. But in terms of just, like, I can't... I cannot watch this episode without crying through the last 20 minutes of it. And I cry... I cry because it is sad. It is terribly, terribly sad. And to the point of horror sometimes. Um... But really, I cry because it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right? There, I cry over the beauty of the tenderness between Kira and Jake. Of the same level of compassion between the, the young girl and old Jake. I cry because of the love between Ben Sisko and Jake Sisko. And this, the humanity of this episode is profound and and Tony Todd's performance the humanity that he brings to this performance is staggering it's a breathtaking performance it really really is you highlight something really important we've talked about it before but it's another great example listen it, it sounds really easy go find a bunch of actors and say hey go be sad yeah. Go be this. It it but then you find it doesn't work. It, it it's hard to just create a vibe, right? So it's nice to sit down and write a room and be like, "Hey, we're going to let's write an episode about parenthood that is touching." Well, it's very difficult to just say that and do that, right? You can't write down, yeah. "Okay, Ben is sad." It doesn't work that way. You have to set the pieces yeah. in such a way that you elicit the experience of the actors which then translate to an audience to feel the thing. It's it's really it's there's a ton here's the here's why it's kind of magical because there is a bit of alchemy to it there is a there is an alchemy about time place and people that you have to set amongst the pieces but also there are mechanical things that must be done the writing has to be good it has to be relatable the pieces have to work in all the ways and this achieves that as keith said pretty universally and consistently right even as other parts of the episode show the wears and tears of time and the advancement of technology, the core stays the core. And that is the testament of what separates good art from Yeah. And and I, I, the best. I think it, it dovetails with the, the the writing of this and the relationship of Ben and Jake, which we've been establishing for four seasons, right? Dovetails incredibly with Tony Todd. I think I don't I don't know Tony Todd, mm-hmm. right? I don't really know anything about him. 
Um, but I can make some suppositions from his performance here. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to be, to act, right? Like you, you, Method, I was having a conversation with Jillian about this, uh, and talking about, you know, a lot of people pull from their own experiences, you know, like, oh, I can't be sad about this hypothetical father. I'm going to be sad about my real father and go through that. And, and that's, that's a way to do it. There's a, there's any, any number of different techniques and ways to do it. I'm somebody who I connect through my characters through empathy mm-hmm. to empathize with their character, you know, with the character that I'm playing. And that's where my emotion comes from. My personal stuff, like that's none of your business. And I don't think I can connect to that in that world, but I can connect with putting myself in the shoes of this particular character. And I'm going to make a wild guess. I have no reason to believe, but I just do that Tony Todd is a incredibly empathic person. I he, I think he must be a terribly nice person. You bring that to, to Candyman even, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just his his performance reads to me as his love of this relationship, his love of this character, his real it's because you know, some people you cry and it's like oh you just it's like pretty cry it's like I'm feeling sorry for myself cry I'm feeling anger or whatever it is this just feels he's there in that moment and he's feeling these these people mm-hmm. and um it's just it's just a spectacular performance you could um, you would you could you'd be safe to make this the supposition to the argument that the writers that this episode really is about thing. is about saying we've created this magical relationship between Jake and Ben that is so powerful that even Jake, the character, recognizes it enough that in the end makes the sacrifice of all he's come to know and love. I yeah. mean, even though he got to live his whole life, but that's a little convenient. But to save and give that relationship a chance to be longer. Yeah. Right? No. And 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 it's... It, I, I, and I think that it is... Um, both for the show and for Tony Todd, brave, right? Mm-hmm. This coming off of the way of the warrior, Game of Thrones, battles, badassery. This is about little sweet, heartbreaking human emotions in performed by and in a world that's in you know, the world of toxic masculinity, of tough guys, and, um, you know, especially you know, in 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 that community, like this is about beautiful little heartbreaking butterfly wings of emotions, and you have, you've, you, I mean, you have Avery Brooks, badass extraordinaire. You have Tony Todd. He's freaking Candyman. Yeah, he's Worf's brother. He's one of the, you know, uh, Final Destination. This guy's a horror legend. He's a tough guy. He's giant. He's like six four. He's this, the guy who you'd be. If you saw him on the street, be like, "Uh oh, right." This tough guy comes out and gives this incredibly open, emotional, heartbreaking performance with complete lack of vanity. It's it is so brave and so um, masculine in the non toxic way. I mean, you know, like that is that is a that is a a a man in the best sense of the word. It is a dude being brave and just doing it and i i just hats off hats off to everybody on yeah. this on this episode um 
it's it is definitely one that I I will rewatch for the rest of my life and I will always be annoyed that I'm crying <laughs> because I don't love that. Um, but that's probably why I need to watch it. So, um, yes, to uh, make a long story long, The Visitor also gets 99 self-sealing stem bolts from me. Um, it is, you know, l- like I said, there are episodes that I like as much of Deep Space Nine than The Visitor, but I don't love any episode more than I do The Visitor of any Trek, period. I mean, it's sort of a sequel to The Inner Light in some ways. Um, and, uh, oh, anyway, it's freaking fantastic. Season four, uh, I, I don't know if uh, you're keeping track at home. Season four is off to a pretty good start. Yeah, it is. You know, the other thing about sci-fi, too, to, to, is the best sci-fi asks hard questions, right? Not just, mm-hmm. like, uh, wish fulfillment questions. I'll give you this brief example as we go to as we go to exit. Um, is uh, is you know it's easy to say, hey, if you could go back in time, Keith, and kill baby Hitler, would you do it? Well, yeah, yes, I would do that. <laughs> I would, yes. But if I said, hey, Keith, or hey, Mike, um, you love your wife think you gotta you know you've you've carved out a little niche for yourself and 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 you, you built your studio you like and all that stuff's pretty good right you're like doing pretty good now if you could like bring your dad back right and all you had mm. to do was wink Give all of this all of wink all of this out of existence right and then i don't know if it's gonna be better but you're gonna get that shot would you do it well man this episode made me give me a lot of those feels of the what ifs but at the end of the day that hard question i still don't know i i know yeah. that's a tough one and that those are the best those are the best stories because they make you yeah. they make you think anyway well all right folks well thank you for uh for joining us on this journey through the visitor um Ooh. i can't wait to hear all of your thoughts on it um i think this probably hits everybody yeah and in if you hated it, awesome way. too, man. But don't just I'm like curious. shit on it. Don't just shit on it. Like try to engage in the conversation we were having a little bit. Yeah. No. And I, I'd be certainly curious um, what everybody's personal experiences with this is. Um, and I imagine if somebody doesn't like this, it's because of a personal experience. Yeah. Um, also cool. I mean, that it might be very different that they went through some. I, who knows? Um, but anyway, please leave uh, leave a rating. Uh, below on the self-sealing stem bolts. If you're listening to the audio version of this in your in your ear holes, you can help us have other people find our little show mm-hmm. uh, by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you have. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash K&M and check out all of our other shows. We're finishing up Strange New Worlds this week. That's going to be yeah, fun. I'll, I'll... Also check out Toys and uh, K&M Geekly and all the other nonsense that we do. We thank you for uh, listening, and thank and I, I feel this is a good time to do it. I want to thank you, Mike, and everybody else here watching, for uh, for going through this experience with me. Because this whole thing is about my enjoyment of sharing this show with you and with everybody watching. That that's the whole the whole reason I'm doing this. Yeah, is because I want to talk about the visitor for two hours, right? Yeah, well, people, and so, and people have to, written in and expressed that like they're loving kind of just like, you know, I, I guess it's true. I don't think about it because I'm so flippant about things, but people are like, oh, yeah, you can never watch the thing for the first time again. And so right. like, there's and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the unab- closest I can get is watching you do it. 
Yeah, I'm un- unabashedly enjoying myself, so it's 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 a blast. Thanks. And if, listen, if you are one of those podcast people, and we know the analytics show there are people listening, uh, the email address is there's a ton of them, uh, but Keith and Mike Entertainment at gmail.com is a good one. Uh, or just like Google our YouTubes, you can find us on the YouTube and, and be a comment. Be, you can be a part of the conversation is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you know, just because sure. you're listening, jump in on one of the on the videos and just leave a comment or send an email. We'll read it on the air. We'll, we'll be a part of the convo. You guys are welcome to, of course. Yes, please do. All right, that's enough of this. Crap. All right, that's it. It's time to get some lunch. Uh, thank you again for watching this. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM. <laughs>